Before a man is ordained a priest, he's ordained a transitional deacon. And before each of these uh, uh, ordinations, uh, canon law requires us to take a five-canonical day retreat. And back in my day, the seminary provided the retreat before you became a priest, but the retreat uh, that you took before you became a deacon, you were allowed to go and find one on your own. And so I signed up for one being given to some permanent deacons. These are people who will always be a deacon. They won't become a priest, kind of like Deacon Terry. They were going on retreat at the St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Retreat House, which for some bizarre reason I thought was in southern Ohio, only to realize the day before the retreat began that it was on the East Coast. So I had to zoom out there. I admit I drove too quickly. I remember going down this country road way too fast and up a blind hill, and at the top of the hill you saw this yellow arrow that said the road goes this way, and I turned the wheel and nothing happened. I think I was a little airborne. And then when the car came down, it kind of took me over that way. I'm very grateful that I made it. And I made it just in time to be late for the first talk. So I snuck into the back as quietly as I could and I sat down. And the first words that I heard struck me far more than anything else I heard that week. Man, it stuck with me all these years. The man giving the retreat said this, Poverty is not holiness, but a pathway to holiness. Poverty is not holiness, but a pathway to holiness. That stuck with me all these years, and I think about it from time to time. Poverty is no more a guarantee to heaven than riches are a guarantee to happiness. Now, it, it may be a lot easier path, But just being so does not make one saintly, neither do riches mean you're automatically less qualified for heaven. Take the guy Deacon Terry just read the report on today. He was not called a fool just because he was unexpectedly rich beyond his wildest dreams. Let's look at it for a second. All of a sudden, he found himself with superabundance obviously didn't expect this. Even in his wildest dreams, all of a sudden, it's just all there. He didn't even have any place to keep everything that he suddenly had. And he starts fretting about it. I can imagine him in that bed, not able to fall asleep and fussing and rolling around and just thinking and maybe almost falling asleep and then waking up in a rush again. Because I got all this stuff. What am I going to do with it? What if somebody steals it? It's all just sitting out there. Or what if it's ruined? You know, I don't have a good place to keep it all. And admit all this turning and, 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 and unrest and roiling, suddenly he comes up with an idea. You can almost hear the relief in his voice. He almost laughs at himself. <laughs> Why didn't I think about this earlier? I know what I can do with all this wealth. Why confine myself to these paltry buildings and these old barns. How idiotic of me. i got to think big. I can use my wealth to tear down all that stuff and build bigger stuff. Then I can take all my other stuff and store my stuff in this big stuff. Then all my cares will be taken away. I'm not going to have to work unless I want to. I won't have to rely on anybody. I don't have to get involved in anything unless I want to. I don't have to worry about anything or anybody. 
from now on, for me, it's just about enjoying life. So know what's missing, notice what's missing from the story, and this is where the you fool comes in. There's no mention of thanksgiving. Thank you, God. That was awesome. There was no thanks to all the people who helped him make his wealth. With wealth comes power, and there's no mention of doing anything for the common good. There is no thought about life, about virtue, or love, or death, or in any way reaching out to anybody. It is completely self-absorbed, self-interested, self-gratifying, and all his efforts are about serving himself and his stuff. That is why God says to him, you fool. Because all these resources, no matter how much you have, are eventually going to fail you. Everything in this life will eventually fail you. Your body will eventually fail you. And when you are done on this planet, we are going to have to leave everything behind us. Except for this. The efforts and intentions you had in using these things. That is what you take with you. So in this light, this parable is not just about those who are very blessed financially. It's for everybody. You could be a 10-year-old who has $5 in your piggy bank and you just collected a windfall, trick-or-treating. There is a reason why, Christian mothers, you teach your children to say thank you and that you might say, why don't you share a little bit of that with your baby sister? You know she is not able to go out there and do what you did. It's about having the proper attitude about things and how the gifts of this world are most nobly and virtuously used for the glory of God and the benefit of our brothers and sisters. That's why over our convent out here, which is now the Early Learning Center, it says, Ad Majorum Dei Gloriam, all for the greater glory of God. I know I told you recently about my trip with Catholic Relief Services to Zimbabwe when I was a seminarian and how entire villages would turn out in their best clothes, which they didn't have a lot of clothes, but they always preserved something for Sunday. And they fed us and entertained us and pampered us to the best of their abilities. And we were kind of embarrassed about all of this from these poverty-stricken folk. And we, we asked our guides what it was all about because we were just poor students or powerless students. And our guides told us that compared to them, we were incredibly powerful. So what are you going to do with that power that you have? What will be your attitude? You know what? You can write to, you can write to their government. They have no way of getting in touch with anybody. Eventually, you're going to be, be priests, and you can bring their message to your congregations to make awareness so judiciously, I do what I can with the resources that I have. I tell you their stories. We participate in Operation Rice Bull during Lent. And we can use our power and our position to help those who don't have it. So I'm guessing that you've heard about that tragic story this week of ISIS terrorists interrupting a mass in France and killing the priest. This is not an isolated incident. One of you sent me a news article that reminds us of how common this is in the world. Last week, we had Father John Vian here, 
who hailed from the African continent. And on that continent, in 2015, 2,000 Christian churches were attacked by terrorists, by ISIS, by al-Shabaab, by Boko Haram, and over 7,000 Christians were killed. And that's just on one continent. The French story is merely the first time this kind of attack has happened in the West, but it's been going on since for 2,000 years without stop elsewhere in the world. So here you are today in this beautiful church, albeit in need of a little bit of restoration. It's Sunday. You had no fear about coming here today. You will have no fear about putting a Catholic bumper sticker on your car or if you go to breakfast or lunch after this, making the sign of the cross in public and saying grace before your meal. So do we say to ourselves, now as for you, you have so much freedom stored up for yourself. Rest easy, pray, and be merry. Or will you try to do something to assist those who do not have the freedom of faith? What is your gift, and how do you use it? I know a very intelligent man who is incredibly intelligent. He skated through school. I was speaking with a friend of mine the, uh, last night, and he brought up this person. And I said, I can't believe you just brought him up. I preached about him on Saturday. But he had such a great brain, and he bragged about it. Not even in grad school did he have to crack open up a book. And since then, he has never taught, he's never written an article, and he kind of brags about it. And you think, what great thing could this brain have accomplished? What was his attitude towards his gift? Conversely, there's a group of extremely talented students at the University of Akron, honor students. They don't know what it is not to get an A. They're all doubling, doubling in majors that I can't even pronounce. And they wanted to do something with their collective knowledge. So they began a group called Dream Akron. And they go weekly into the inner city to teach at-risk students. How did they use their gift? What is their attitude? I also know someone who is outrageously charismatic and has all kinds of connection, and she uses her gift to help all kinds of people. I know talented artists who can't be bothered to use their gifts, and I know a whole group of people with green thumbs that make our property enviable. I know people who are extremely guarded with their time and can't be bothered to be pulled away from their third viewing of a television rerun. And then there is this story that I heard recently on the radio. I'm not going to tell it as well as the lady told it, but I hope you get the flavor. She was a young woman who fell in love with a much older man, much to the chagrin of her parents. And it turns out they were deliriously happy with each other and eventually had a child. Her husband, unfortunately, was uh, into mild drug use and eventually progressed into the very, very hard stuff, and he brought his wife along with him, and they both became very addicted. And as these things do, the situation spiraled down and down and down until they fell more deeply into drug use, lost their jobs, lost their connections to their friends. In one day, she found herself alone in a dirty room with food and dirty clothes everywhere. 
She was laying on the floor in a fetal position, crying with the, the, the beginnings of withdrawal hitting her. Her husband had left to go look for a fix, and she didn't expect to see him. And she thought, even if he does find something, he's not going to come back here and share it. Her child was in the next room, screaming for something. That was the night she had realized how far she had fallen. In her hand, she had a piece of paper that her mother had given to her the last time she bothered to speak to her. And she would unfold it and look at it, and then fold it back up and hold on to it. Unfold it and look at it, fold it back up and hold on to it. On the piece of paper was a phone number for a Christian counselor. And she was working up the courage to call. Her mother said, when you hit bottom, you can always call this number. Finally, when she thought her last result was either to call that number or end her days, she made her way over to the phone and dialed. When the man answered, she immediately said, my mother gave you my mother gave me your number. And she said, when things got really, really bad, I could call you and you would help me. Could you listen to me? She said she could hear over the phone line as if bed sheets were being drawn around him and the man was sitting up. And he said, go ahead. And she told him his, her entire story and all the problems she was facing and how afraid she was of the future. And he was very patient, offering sympathy, not pushing anything on her, but giving her hope and encouragement and ideas. And they talked all through the night until the sun started coming up. And at the end, she said, I felt something change. She was going to be able to face the new day and could see the possibility of light at the end of the tunnel. And she would get through this for her son. She told the man, thank you. And you know what? You are very good at this. I think you may have saved my life and my son's life. Your patience is phenomenal. I don't feel judged or belittled. Where did you learn how to do all this? And the, the man replied, about that, I'm going to tell you. But promise me, you will not hang up on me. Do you promise? She said, yes. You dialed the wrong number. What did that man have in superabundance? What was his riches? He had time. He could have said, this is my time. I'm supposed to sleep now so that I can be of service to people tomorrow. Let her call the correct person. But he didn't. His attitude was to put what he had to use for the glory of God and to the benefit of his Christian sister. At the end of the story, she told how this one glimmer of light allowed a flood of grace to come into her life. And she used that word, grace. And she turned everything around. All the guy had was time and an ear and the right attitude toward that which were his riches.